What is up, my friends? My name is Thomas Frank, and this is the College Info Geek Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you become a more effective student. Except for with this episode, I'm actually satiating the curiosity of some more vocal members of the CIG community, rather than talking about any stock general part of the college experience like we normally do. So with this episode, uh, I'm going to be talking about my process for making videos, because I've gotten a lot of questions on this, and it's actually pretty fun to talk about. Um, In addition, I've just moved into a new house, and I'm actually sitting here with two keyboards, two mice on my desk, uh, and there's two computer towers hooked up to each of my two monitors right now, because I just built a badass new computer, I've been thinking about it for months, finally pulled the trigger on the parts over at Newegg, got them in on uh, Friday, I want to say, case came in Thursday, the rest of the parts came in Friday in a big box, I got my knife out, cut all the packaging up, and then spent about five hours assembling everything, and right now, I'm in the process of transferring everything over from the old computer to the new computer, which is... Tons of fun. Just don't don't think I'm lying. It's it's so much fun, right? It's the most fun thing. Like you have to sit there and wait for progress bars. That's about as fun as a roller coaster. And then you get to transfer settings and fonts over, and that's about as fun as a birthday party. So I'm just ecstatic right now. <laughs> but no, so basically I've got a lot of work to do to get everything ported over from the old computer to the new computer so that I can get straight to work on Monday on the new videos, of which there will be two this week. So yeah, just to let you know, if you're one of those people who tends to listen to the podcast on the day it comes out, which good on you, that's awesome. Um, tomorrow, which will be Tuesday, I'll be releasing a bonus video, which I promised that I would release at 10,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel. Well, we are on track for 20,000 right now, so I'm sorry for my tardiness, but I did promise that I would show my shooting process and some of my gear, and I figured why not go with that theme this week? for the podcast, and uh, I'm going to go through the actual process that I I follow to make a video every week, and I'm actually going to make this a two-parter because there's a lot that goes into making videos, actually, so if uh, you're a content creator or you're somebody who makes videos or who wants to make videos yourself, then consider this sort of a uh, look inside the head of somebody who does this for sort of a living, I guess. Uh, if not, then maybe it's just sort of like a, hey, this is a job option. This is a um, a career sort of inside look episode. And I think those are fun, right? Uh, my friend Grant actually has a podcast called How Did You Get Into That? And you should definitely listen to it. Grant's a good friend of mine, and he just interviews people who have cool careers Um, When he was developing the podcast, I gave him a ton of ideas for cool people uh, with cool jobs that I think he should that I thought he should interview. And he's been interviewing a lot of cool people. So this is maybe uh, an an episode within that style. And if you're not particularly interested in creating videos yourself, you maybe can get some uh, some tangential ideas for process improvement in your own life or maybe you'll just have fun listening to how I sit in my room and wave my arms at a camera and somehow come out with uh, videos that people like so that's fun and uh, actually I just kind of want to give you guys a little bit of an update on things that are going on in my life in general so let me pull up my my tabs right now I've got about 13 tabs of research open and maybe 10 others and I've been trying to cut down on my my open tabs but right now Life is sort of crazy, so I'm not doing too good in that regard, but let's just take a look here. Uh, I actually sat down and scheduled out content for the next month or two, so what I'm going to do is um, do this episode this week, and then next week I'll do a part two. After that, I want to do an episode on my plan to retire at 40, so that'll be fun. Um, 
retires in quotes and there's a bit of extra stuff behind that. So if you're interested in that sort of idea, uh, I'll be going into that. I want to talk about how to find a mentor. So that'll be coming up. And then um, public speaking. I'm going to talk about traveling because in May, actually, I will be going back to Japan, uh, May 12th, I want to say. And hopefully the way I'm structuring this and, and working ahead of time, I won't have to work in Japan other than just keeping up on my email. That would be like the holy grail place to reach. And if I can get enough advanced content created, then I will be able to do that, which will be freaking awesome because uh, my girlfriend doesn't want me to have to work the whole time while I'm in Japan. And I don't want to have to get punched in the face by my girlfriend when she's angry at me. (laughs) So I'm going to try to get everything done beforehand. Um, I also want to do a series that I'm calling Catalyst. So it'll be four episodes and I want to talk about um, moments in each of my four years of college that sort of led me to what I'm doing and how I followed those opportunities, how I found them. And maybe it'll sort of give you a, like a look into my own college experience. Cause, um, I don't know if I've talked too much in depth about the things I did in college to sort of get where I am or, uh, you know, failures I've had those kind of things. So I'm excited to sort of probe my own mind, look back at some old journals and write down some things that could turn into good stories. So that is what's coming up in the uh, in the realm of the podcast. I've got videos coming up, but I'm not going to give away too much about what they are. So just keep tabs on the YouTube channel if you um, already are already watching. If you're not, you can find the videos over at collegeinfogeek.com slash videos. Though I would imagine that if you're listening to this episode and you're curious enough about how I make videos, you're probably the kind of person who already watches the YouTube channel. But if you're not, Uh, Who knows? Maybe this is the first time you've ever listened to the podcast, in which case I'll tell you that this is not a typical episode, but enjoy anyway. By the way, you can find the show notes, as always, over at CIGpodcast.com slash um, slash nothing. Actually, I kind of brain farted there. Uh, You'll go down and you'll find the episode 60 link on the page and click it and you'll find links to everything talked about. Uh, We'll probably add a link to part two on there as as it gets released next Monday. Um, but I'm just going to dive into my, the first part of my process right now. So I'm going to go from, uh, beginnings of videos to the finishing of filming in, in this episode of the podcast. And then after I'm done with that next week, we will talk about editing and go from there to the finished product being on YouTube and a blog post and a, a newsletter and all that cool stuff. So, but let's first talk about the first part of the the process because we can't edit anything unless we have footage shot and we can't shoot any footage unless we have content to talk about. So um, the process starts with topic capture, I call it, and research and scripting and quotes, though the quotes are sort of fading away as I uh, sort of progress in my career as a a video maker. Um, So right now, let me just give you a specific example. I said I had 13 tabs of research open Uh, So the video that's coming out on Thursday of this week, if you're listening to this uh, on the 21st of May or not May, April, is going to be over test anxiety. And I know a good deal about test anxiety and stress and fear uh, fear of failure, those kind of things. I've read a bunch about that. I have a lot of personal experiences, but my sort of philosophy when it comes to a video is I want to get as much information as possible in the pre, like the research stages and before writing stages, I want to collect as much as possible so I can sort of pull out the gems. Cause I feel like it's, you know, 80, 20, 80% of the results are going to come from 20% of, you know, the effort. 
Um, but I want to make sure that like that 20%, the cream of the crop, I have as much of that as possible. And I do that by getting as much research as possible. So my typical process for researching, um, will be to create in a document in Evernote. I have an entire notebook called videos and, uh, I guess back, backpedaling a little bit. Um, I have one note called rough ideas in Evernote, and this is just a gigantic bu- uh, bullet list. And when anyone asks me a question or an idea pops into my head for a video, if it's not already on there, I'll write it there as a bullet. Some of these have sub bullets where there's like a little bit of detail expanded, like little tiny you know, terms and things I didn't want to forget. Or they might have a link to some online resource or blog post or other video that I got inspired by. And I want to put that there so that I don't forget it. And I can go back and remind myself like, why the heck do I have, you know, this video topic on here? I don't know why I thought about that. Well, I have a sub bullet to remind myself, but the the rough ideas note is not for uh, a lot of detail on any one topic. It's just a dumping ground for individual or for all the video ideas. And I talk about you know, in my quick capture article, how your brain should not be a storage module. It should be a, a, a machine for generating ideas. You should get those ideas out of your brain and get them into some sort of other storage device. Well, Evernote is my second brain and the rough ideas note is where a lot of those videos ideas end up at first. So when I want to actually flesh out a video and make it into something real, I'll take the idea from the rough notes Uh, the rough ideas note, and I'll create its own note. So right now I've got test anxiety, um, working title in there, and I will just sort of brain dump. So I might have quotes from other people that I thought were effective, like in adversity, remember to keep an even mind. It's a quote from the Roman poet Horace. Uh, I thought that was a fantastic quote. It will probably make it into the video. I'll also put just experiences from my own life. Like, oh, I was, uh, you know, I, I felt anxiety at this particular part of my life, or here's what I feel when going into tests, my own personal ways of coping with test anxiety and ways of staying calm under pressure. Um, I'll also look for situations that are maybe, um, related to test anxiety, but not exactly, uh, in line with it. So maybe like the anxiety I feel when I speak in public or maybe the anxiety I feel during like sporting events when I was in high school. I think that there are nuggets of wisdom and certain practices from those experiences that could be applied to tests and uh, be still useful. So I'll, I'll sort of brain dump like that. Like it's a journal entry almost I'll just say, you know, uh, this would be cool to put in there. Um, I, being a geek, I also like to have a lot of references to different movies and books and just things that I like in general in my videos. I think that's one of the big things that separates my kind of content from a lot of other educational content out there that is sort of more laser focused on the topic and is sort of like no nonsense, uh, all business, you know, your sixth grade teacher with the ruler slapping you on the wrist. I don't want to be that. I want to have lots of fun things in there. So I'll be like, oh, okay, this, uh, this scene from a book I read before has something that could, uh, you know, tie into the video or like I did back in the habit RPG video where I tied it into Pokemon because I love Pokemon and it was a big part of my childhood. So that'll become part of the video. And I think it makes it more memorable. So all that, um, sort of gets brain dumped into the Evernote document. And also usually there will be just a giant list of links. 
So this goes back to those 13 open tabs I had. Uh, I'll often just Google lots of terms related to the topic I'm talking about. So if test anxiety goes into Google, I'll look for blog posts in the main Google search result list, but I'll also go over to Scholar and see if I can find some scientific studies and some things with some more hard data and evidence that I can bring in to my sort of research jumble. Uh, not everything from these these papers will end up into the video. Obviously, we're only talking about a six to eight minute video on average here. But I want to, as I said before, get as much uh, as I can within my realm of vision so that I can pick out the best parts and combine it with those references and personal experiences and such. Um, so basically what I do is I end up with a giant document full of all that stuff. And then I'll just write a line of dashes. And below that, we'll start the script. Now, I am very inconsistent in the way that I make scripts. Like, sometimes I will just have a bullet list. Sometimes I'll have an actual script. And sometimes, some weeks, I don't have anything in the way of a script. I'll just sort of load what I have learned into my brain. Um, These are typically the weeks where I'm talking about something that I'm very intimately familiar with. Or maybe it was an idea that I came up with myself and doesn't need too much outside research done. Um, And I'll just sort of talk into the camera. Usually, uh, talking from past experience, my scripts end up being a bullet list of talking points that don't say word for word what I should say to the camera, but sort of give me um, a mental cue to go off of. And um, we'll get into the filming later, but I'll do that. Uh, With the last video, though, with the one on the Stuff That Works library that I came up with, I actually scripted that one more or less verbatim. It wasn't perfectly verbatim, but I did write it out. And the reason that I'm sort of moving into playing around with written scripts is because I actually had the opportunity to write a script for a channel called How to Adult, which is a... It is executively produced by John and Hank Green, the vlog brothers, if you've ever heard of them, or the guys who run Crash Course, maybe you've read or seen Crash Course on YouTube, which if you haven't, by the way, I highly recommend it. It's probably my favorite channel on YouTube at all, and one of the most useful channels on YouTube, in my opinion. But uh, they executively produce this channel, which is run by Michael T. Michael Martin, who is a young adult fiction author, and also, uh, I don't remember the other girl's name, I think it's Emma. I can't remember her last name at the moment, but they sort of co-host some episodes or sometimes one of them will be on an episode. Sometimes the other one will. But they do a channel on basically how to be an adult, how to change your oil and do your taxes and all these questions that you sort of have to answer for yourself once you get out of college or maybe even while you're still in college. But a lot of people didn't teach you. You didn't get them taught to you in high school or you didn't get them taught to you by your parents. Maybe Um, it's a really cool channel. I found it when I was doing research on my own channel and sort of like the environment that my channel would be in and fell in love with it. I think it's amazing. I think they're doing great work and I started following them and sharing their stuff Uh, And eventually they put out a tweet saying, hey, we want some tips on uh, how to build good habits. And I was like, yo, I know a lot about that. (laughs) That's basically what I spend like half of my time reading up on. So they hired me to write a script for them. And unlike my bullet point scripts, they wanted me to write a basically word for word script with a word limit uh, and like resource citations and all that stuff. So it was a lot more formal than I was used to. But I got it done, sent it to him, and then it was really cool getting to watch the final video with a lot of the lines I wrote actually being said. And uh, they kind of edited it up and added in some Breaking Bad references, like Breaking Bad Habits, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, but it was super cool. And recently I got the chance to write a second one for them. So 
I'm sort of like building these actual script writing chops through writing these scripts for a different channel. And I'm taking those skills and sort of applying it to my own work because I've learned something about myself. Um, For certain topics, writing a verbatim script is bad because it sort of hems me into saying these exact lines and I can feel a little robotic. But with certain other topics that maybe aren't so uh, detailed, or maybe maybe I just need to do more memorization on the detailed topics. I'm not sure. Um, but with the last video, I felt pretty confident saying the lines on the script and making them sound organic. I thought it worked pretty well. And it could just be a matter of doing it a lot of times. Like I talk about in the equal odds video, the uh, the output and your taste have a huge gap between them because you just haven't done enough work yet. And maybe after doing 25 videos... I'm getting to the point where I'm narrowing that gap a little more and sort of increasing my ability to make something that I think is worthwhile while reading a script. Either way, um, I have been sort of enamored with the idea now of writing a full script because, and let's get over into filming pretty soon here, because I find that if I just write a topic or a bullet point list, then on certain days when I have like this, I don't know like the, the the brain blocker is taken out, then I can eloquently deliver all the ideas in my head in perfect English without making any, uh, I guess, line flubs. Um, but this is a rare occurrence, right? Most times that I film a video, and now that I've done 25 or more, uh, I think it's 25, I can say with confidence that most weeks I set up the camera and for a six to eight minute video, I will often end up with half an hour of footage because I just screwed up lines so many times. Uh, and it's frustrating, right? Especially since my camera doesn't really play nice with half an hour film times. So I found that if I script a video out a little bit more verbatim, maybe not exactly verbatim, but a bit more detailed than just a bullet point list and also prepare a little bit more then I can actually deliver those lines and that cuts down on the time I have to film and this is a big one, the time I have to edit because cutting out flubbed lines takes time. Now there are some little tricks you can do to uh, cut down on that time you need to spend editing but it still does take time and it's a lot more disheartening to have to edit like a giant half an hour block of footage that's mostly crap than it is if you can just load up and be like, yeah, I've got 12 minutes. I need to edit it down to six. Like that 50% good to crap ratio is pretty good. Um, it's definitely better than when I end up with like a 80% crap, 20% good ratio. So that's basically the crux of scripting and research and topic capture. Uh, one thing I will also note with research, sometimes I actually go to my university library and I have found that I used the Iowa State Library more in the time period between September when I started making videos and now than I ever did as a student. Like I spent a good amount of time in the library as a student just studying for my laptop, but actually looking through books and taking notes on textbooks that I found on the shelves, I've done more of that as a like graduated adult in my work than I did as a student. Now, I don't know if that's like a good thing or a bad thing, but it is kind of funny and ironic to me. So I'll take all that research. I'll write my script and then it comes time to actually film the video. So I actually have to set up because I like my room to be clean most of the time. So I'm not really cool to just leave all the gear set up all the time. 
Um, luckily, it doesn't take too long. So I'll just give you a quick overview of the gear I use. And if you watch the bonus video, which will come out tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, you can actually get like a look at the gear that I use. But essentially, my camera is an old Sony NEX 5N that I got back in 2012, I think. I paid about 750 bucks for it. It's not a DSLR camera. It's a mirrorless camera. So it's sort of has the same or similar image quality to a budget DSLR camera. You get the nice blurred background when you focus on a subject. You can get you can you can somewhat change out lenses. You can't do it as much as you can with a DSLR. Like a DSLR cameras, you can basically put on any compatible lens and you have a lot of options. With this model of Sony camera, there's like three that and you can only get them from Sony unless there's like some weird adapter kit that I don't know about. Um, that's not too big of a deal though because the lens mine came with is good and it can blur the background a little bit even in my room. So I'm good with it. Now I'm a tall guy and in my old apartment, the ceiling was pretty low and the ceiling fan with the light on it was actually lower than the ceiling, of course. So when I would put the tripod up to its max height and then point the camera at my face, there was no way to keep the light out of the shot. So the only solution to this problem was to get the camera higher than me and have it filming at a downward angle. Now this is only happening when I film standing up. It's not a problem if I want to sit down. And if you watch some of the older videos where I'm sitting at my computer with the, the computer screens behind me or when I'm sitting on my big brown chair and the uh, sound diffusion foam is behind me. That's not a problem. Like I can put the, the camera on the tripod and we're good to go. But when I stand up to film, uh, the tripod is out and I like to stand up when I do most of my videos. I feel like when you're standing up, at least for me, there's more confidence in it. There's, uh, I guess I'm just able to more eloquently deliver my lines and feel more energetic. And, uh, you know, I've somewhat been able to learn how to be energetic while I'm sitting down, like I'm sitting down right now while I podcast, but on most weeks, I feel that standing up is a better option. So what I actually do is I put my camera on top of my bookshelf and that actually works because my bookshelf is, I think, either as tall as me or a tiny bit taller. So with the camera sitting on there, I can actually point it down, zoom in a little bit, and I get a nice frame shot with my head in it and then my shoulders and a little bit of my chest right where I want it to be. Uh, and then the light's not in there. So I get this the nice backdrop and me and we're good to go, as you can see in most of the videos. Now, this is no longer a problem in my new house, actually, because the ceilings, I think, are like nine and a half feet or 10 feet tall, maybe nine and a half feet. And uh, there's no ceiling fan, just a light. So I suppose if I wanted to, I could try putting the camera back on the tripod and just putting it up to its max height and seeing what we have. But the way I have my room set up now with the backdrop and the bookshelf sort of right across from each other, it's kind of a perfect setup and I'll probably stick with it for the most part going into the future, uh, at least foreseeable future. So let's talk about the gear that I actually shoot with. Uh, so for video, I've got an old, kind of old, like three-year-old camera. It's a Sony NEX5N, and it's what's called a mirrorless camera. So uh, I think like cheaper point-and-shoot digital cameras have like a mirror inside, so the light will come through the lens and then bounce off the small mirror and then go up onto the chip, which records the uh, the, the data from the light as as a normal film would. But with a mirrorless camera, I think the chip is like right behind the lens and this enables them to build the hardware in such a way that it's close in quality to DSLR cameras of a similar price or maybe a little bit higher price. It's not actually a DSLR, but you can get the nice blurred background just like you can with DSLRs, has a lot of the nice features and it takes amazing video. 
Uh, I think I paid about $750 for the camera, and I was actually going to buy a point-and-shoot camera. This was for my first Japan trip, and then I know a, I, there was a friend I had in a computer class. It was a computer networking class, and he was like, you're going to buy that camera? No, dude. Look at the pictures I took with this camera, and now you're upgrading yourself. <laughs> so I ended up upselling myself from a $350 camera to a $750 camera. That took a good chunk out of my uh, savings from my internship the previous year, but eh, what the heck? Um, it's turned out to be a pretty good piece of tech for me, so I think it was a pretty good decision in hindsight. But I bought that camera, and uh, the one thing about that camera is it does not have a LCD screen that can flip out and be visible from the front side. So a lot of cameras these days come with the LCD screens that can do that, and uh, I actually don't recommend getting the NEX 5 and for that reason. There are some new models from Sony that are out. They're very similar in quality. They're actually cheaper. I think you can get, um, it's like the NEX 5 TL or something like that for like 450 so 300 bucks less same quality and an LCD flip out screen and when you're doing that you can actually flip that screen out uh, see yourself and focus on yourself make sure you're not out of focus while you're filming I can't do that with my camera the screen can sort of tilt up so if it's like if I want to film low to the ground or something uh, I can do that I can tilt the screen up but that's my only option. So my solution was buying a, what they call in the public speaking business, confidence monitor. Uh, usually in a lot of public speeches in, in settings like uh, venues that are well set up for speaking gigs, they will have a monitor in front of the speaker, but sort of out of the view of all the audience. And usually the, the slides will be mirrored there so the speaker can see what they're talking about and they won't have to look back at the the slideshow behind them like a tool. Uh, it's actually, for me, just the $90 LCD TV from Best Buy. And I put it on the shelf below the top of my bookshelf. And then it just hooks into my computer, my camera with the mini HDMI cord. And then I have a little VGA to HDMI converter because the TV I bought, I don't think has HDMI or maybe uh, there was some limitation on there. Uh, either way, I'm able to see myself on that TV and I can make sure that I'm in focus. So what I do to focus myself, because I actually cannot reach the focus ring while standing in where I, in the place where I film. So I get my mic on the mic stand. I pull it up to the height of my head, put it exactly where I'm going to stand. And then I will sort of duck my head under the camera lens and take the focus ring and then like look on the on the TV to make sure the mic is in perfect focus. Then I can just put the mic back where it should be and stand there and I'm good to go. And the reason I have to do this is because when you film video, you want to have your camera on a fixed uh, focus, uh, manual focus instead of automatic focus. If you automatically focus, uh, it can work. I know some people on YouTube have done it. I, I see it sometimes, but the problem with it is that if you move your hand behind your head or in front of your head or something happens like light changes on your backdrop or something, then the camera can automatically focus on uh, something that's not your face during filming and that can ruin a shot uh, and you might not notice it while you're filming because if you don't look at the confidence monitor the entire time then your eyes would be off the camera and it would look terrible um, and then you'd have to go back and reshoot it and it would just be a nightmare so it's much better to focus it perfectly and then just have it set and you know it's not going to change and uh, it, I bet there are other camera models out there that would make this an easier process my camera actually if you turned off these the focus settings preset somehow so there's some sort of digital component to the focusing i'm guessing because i think most lenses you would actually turn the focus ring and it would physically focus but mine doesn't do that for whatever reason 
Uh, so that happens. That's fun. But I get that set up and then I also set up the audio. So for me, the audio is done through a uh, Shure SM7B dynamic mic. There are two types of mics that I know about. There's a uh, condenser mics, which are generally a bit more sensitive and also fragile. And then there are dynamic mics. Um, I don't really know much about the tech that differentiates them, but I do know mine's dynamic. It is also a very good dynamic. It's actually the model of mic that Michael Jackson recorded Thriller on. Uh, and I got it on Amazon along with a Mackie Pro FX8 mixing board, um, which the mic goes into. And in turn, that outputs the audio to my computer. And I record it on Adobe Audition, which is part of the creative suite. Uh, and I just want to note here, this combo of tech, the, the mic, I think is like 350 retail and the board is like a 300 extra as well. Um, I also have a boom arm for podcasting, but when I record videos, it actually just goes, uh, goes on a straight up mic and straight up and down mic stand without a boom arm. Um, I want to note though, that for the first like 10 videos I did, I was actually recording on a $99 blue Yeti microphone. And even though that's far, far cheaper, you can get really good sound out of it. If you have some good effects on audition or whatever audio program that you're editing your, your audio files on. So if this is something that you're like thinking about getting into, I wouldn't recommend going crazy on the tech right away because I was able to get pretty fairly good audio out of my blue Yeti. Um, I had to be a lot more, uh, like nitpicky with my, the, like the room setup. And it's the reason I ended up having to buy the foam for the wall, the sound diffusion foam, because when I took my loft bed out of the room, it opened it up a lot. And there was like horrible echo, uh, with this mic, the echo is less of an issue though. I can tell even now with this new house and it's very tall ceilings, I'm getting a bit more of an echo than I did in the old room. So I may have to get even more foam to sort of get to the level where my audiophile eels ears, not eels. If I had eels for ears, that would be disturbing, <laughs> but when my audiophile ears would be satisfied with the product. Um, but yeah, so just like I said, you can start with budget tech and then get your chops done, like get your chops from your first 10 or so videos and then move into better tech as you uh, get better as a video creator and as you start to realize the need for better tech, right? You don't need to start with it. And this is the same with anything else. Like I hate seeing people who like feel the need to go buy like a Wacom graphics tablet before they start animating or, or drawing or like the people that go buy tons of biking gear and like all this Lycra and like ridiculous water bottles when they could just start riding a bike, like start doing the thing before you buy the gear, because then you'll know whether or not you actually want to keep doing the thing after 10 videos or 10 bike rides or whatever. And that's, that's my approach to it. So anyway, I digress. Um, so the way that I film, oh, I should talk about the lights. So my lights are cobbled together DIY project of love, which I got the inspiration for from uh, a resource called Wistia. Uh, Wistia is a video hosting platform. They offer private video hosting for people that want to have better analytics and want to sort of keep their videos on their own platform, not on YouTube. I don't use them for that, but they have this other little section of their site called the learning library. And they had this very short video called the DIY lighting setup. And they showed me how to build these very cheap lights, which is amazing because the lights on Amazon, while they were of a good price that I found the set that I was looking at, they had, they were just big. They had like these giant weird umbrella things and I didn't want them sitting around in my room. Um, they were not easy to store. And the review said that you 
taking them apart and putting them back together was a huge pain. So I wanted something that would work better. Uh, so I got the lights. I built the lights from the Wistia Learning Libraries tutorial. It's just these cheap light stands off of Amazon. And then clamped onto those are these like disc plate lights from the Home Depot. I don't remember what exactly they're called. They look like a silver metal circular plate uh, and then like a dish. And then you put a light bulb in there. I use LED day white dimble, dimmable, which is important because LED by default is not dimmable. But I have dimmable bulbs screwed into there. I have these lights clamped onto the light stands. And then I have just cheap diffusion paper from Amazon closed pinned onto the front of the lights. And you'll get to see these in detail in tomorrow's bonus video. Um, but these work nicely. And I actually have them plugged into lampside uh or table side lamp dimmers, which just give me the option of dimming the lights, which is very, very important. As I found out, the lights by themselves are far too bright for the film settings I use. And I actually film next to a window. And even with the blinds shut, the light can be variable. So being able to adjust the light from my lights and my dimmers is very nice. And I'm not going to put up anything like blackout curtains. It's like way too hot in this room already. So that's not an option. But the dimmers work amazingly. They're like 10 bucks each. Very, very worth it. So, and then, uh, so the actual process of filming is I'll set all that stuff up, get myself focused, get the lighting good. I can check everything in the confidence monitor and then start recording audio. So as you can probably see in most of the videos, I actually have a backdrop on my computer screen. It's my steam library of games. I just put it in grid mode. I think it looks nice, but beneath that audition is recording the audio from the Mackie, which is pulling the audio from the mic. The mic is on the mic stand in front of me right off screen. And because I film at a downward angle, it's actually very easy to get it really close to my mouth, but not have it showing on the actual video. And I got to give a shout out here to my friend Luke, who is also known as Youngtown on YouTube. He has a like a video game centric channel where he does video game rap songs and also like reviews and satire and extra really good videos. But he has a, an audio engineering background and uh, on Patreon, one of his perks was an audio consultation on Skype. And I was like, dude, this dude sounds really good on his videos. So I'm going to buy that perk and pick his brain for a while. Uh, he ended up saving me a ton of money because I had been doing research on the audio gear I need for video. And I had come to the conclusion that I needed a shotgun mic specifically for making videos and that my podcasting mic would not do the trick. Well, when I talked to Luke, he asked me, Hey dude, are you going to be filming outside or are you just going to be filming in your room? Uh, well, I just do my videos in my room. So he said that the podcasting mic would be more than adequate. So I was able to scratch that very expensive shotgun mic off of my wish list, just get the podcast mic and transfer it over to the mic stand whenever I make a video. It sounds fantastic. It sounds just as good as the podcast and I saved all that money. So Thank you so much, Luke. Uh, and as you can see on the YouTube videos, the, the audio is more than adequate, I think. It sounds very, very good. And it's using this podcasting mic just because I'm able to get it really close to me with uh, that downward filming angle. So I film. Um, before I say my lines, I will duck off screen to get a nice shot of the backdrop without me in it. And then I will go back onto screen and I'll make a bunch of stupid faces for a while, which helps me get a nice face for the thumbnails. Before I did this, I would have to scrub through the footage, like looking for the one frame where I don't look like an idiot or am I like not blurry or blinking. And now if I just like make a bunch of facial expressions at the camera, then 
I can easily find something for the thumbnail. And uh, if you look at my thumbnails, you'll notice like there's different colored overlays behind me. That's why I jump off screen. So I have like a nice blank shot of the backdrop. I put that in there. I put the, over the overlay in there and then I cut myself out of a frame, slap myself on there and that's the uh, thumbnail. So that's why I do that. And then I'll just say my lines until it's done. Um, like I said before, when I prepare and have a well thought out script, it can take like 10 to 15 minutes to get that all done. Very nice. And if I don't, if I'm like kind of unconfident or just not feeling it that day, it can take half an hour. And it's one of those it's one of those uh, things where you're making it. And at the time, you're just like, this is going to suck. Nobody's going to like this. It's just terrible. Uh, and I know after after enough practice, I know that the editing process can really bring out the the nuggets of gold, the good stuff from a terrible filming session. But at the time, it can be really bad. But yeah, I just basically talk for however long it takes. And that's about it. So uh, after that, I will load the footage and the audio onto the computer and move into the editing process, which we will talk about next week. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If it was just sort of a curiosity thing for you, then glad I could satisfy your curiosity. Now, if you are somebody who wants to do this uh, yourself, wants to become a YouTuber or, or make video, you're in like a digital uh, media type major or something like that. Um, I've been getting a lot of questions about video and I've actually been getting requests from some people to help them make videos or like give them tutorials and things like that. So what I'm thinking about doing is actually making a short course that goes over a little bit more detail each step I do to make a video. Now, my friend Caleb Wojcik has a course called, uh, I think it's called a DIY Video Guide. Yeah. And that goes over uh, camera gear and lighting and shooting in detail. So I don't want to like make that over again. There's no point. I think Caleb's stuff is amazing. I made a testimonial for his course and I, I, I love it. So I don't want to make that. But I think it would be fun to sort of take a video that's going to go on my YouTube channel and just make the course concurrently as I make that video. Like this, it would be an opportunity for you to sort of stand over my shoulder and see exactly how I do things start to finish. So rather than like being, uh, I guess, I guess a good parallel would be instead of taking a class on it. You just go into the studio and you get to be there while the pro makes the thing, right? And I think that's valuable. Like, I love to see how people make things because when you're learning on your own, you don't really know what to look for all the time. Like, you're kind of relying on curriculums or courses laid out or maybe just like getting ideas and Googling around, but you don't always know what to Google. So sometimes it's nice to just like see, oh, that's how he does that thing. Or I didn't even realize he did that. And that does improve things. So since I've gotten so many questions, I think I might make that course um, because it would take a fair amount of work to do. I'm going to sell it for about 50 bucks and uh, I'm not exactly sure when it'll come out. It'll definitely be a side project. And if you're interested in it, then I'm going to set up a secondary email list because I don't want to be spamming my main newsletter. It's not college related material, but it's something that people want. So if you're interested in that, you can go over to collegeinfogeek.com slash video dash course and the link to that will also be in the show notes for this episode, so don't worry if you don't remember it. But if you want to get more information on the course, then you can sign up uh, for the secondary newsletter on that page. It's not the same newsletter as the, the main one. Um, and then I'll just keep you up to date on my progress. So 
when I get it finished and when it's getting ready to, to almost launch, I'll let you know. And then I'll let you know when it actually launches. You'll have an opportunity to get more detail on that. So if you're the kind of person that wants that in-depth information, then I will have that video course out for you. And we'll have like screencasts that show exactly how I edit everything. And I'll have like a second camera up filming me while I actually film the, the main video, the example video of the course. And it'll be fun. So it'll be my first actual uh, experience making a full-on course. So I'm excited to dig into it and sort of, you know, uh, what's, what's the expression? Uh, cut my teeth on it? Yeah, that one. And that'll be fun. So if that's not something you're interested in, that is totally fine. It's not going to cut into any of the other things I do. It'll be an extra little side project. And uh, yeah, that's about it. So next week, we'll be talking about my editing process. And then after that, we'll get into those other topics I talked about at the beginning of the episode, and then we'll start getting into more interviews. So, hey, if you like this episode and you want to support the show, then an easy way to do that is to leave a review and rating on iTunes. And you can do that with the link in the show notes that shows you exactly how to do it. Uh, and the show notes, once again, are at CIGpodcast.com. If you want to find my favorite resources for being an awesome college student and being more effective, productivity tools, books, all that cool stuff, that's over at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. So that's it. Thanks for listening to this episode, and I will see you next Monday. Stay cute. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.